was a time of great political and economic turmoil. There was a lot of wrangling between religious leaders and political leaders about who really ought to have the say about things. Oh, when are we talking about? How about every time in the history of humanity? What's interesting about the Bible, unlike other perhaps spiritual books, is that everything has a space and a place and a time that we can have a sense of. Meaning, it's about humans in relationship to God. And not humans in some sort of pure, wonderful, beautiful form where we're doing everything well and being nice to each other all the time. But humans in all of our ugliness, our brokenness, and as we would say in the church, our sinfulness. And so in the, the prophet Malachi, or the book of Malachi, as we're, we're talking about this particular situation, we hear this wonderful thing. There's going to be this voice crying out of the wilderness and make the way straight and, and, and prepare for this coming one who's going to, going to make everything good again. Prepare for the king to come. We believe that that's a precursor talking about the Messiah. For them, they were looking for a political and, and religious leader to help set things straight because they had been in exile and they, meaning the Israelites, had been arguing with God. God had been saying, you haven't been faithful. And they've been saying, well, where were you? It's very interesting, Malachi, because this goes back and forth for almost the whole book. Time of political and economic and religious turmoil in a space and a place and a time. And then in the 15th year of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, right? We're naming a space and a place and a time when the word comes again about a time for things to be made new. It seems that in the history of humanity, we need these reminders over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Do you get what I'm saying now? Again. I mean, I don't know about you and your personal life, but I definitely need those reminders. I, I get off track, you know, within the hour usually. But definitely within 24 hours, I'm, I, I might start out a day pretty good, but then by the end of that day, like I, you know, again, as we would say in the church, I need some repentance, I need some forgiveness, I need to, I need to get set straight. I need the rough places in me to be made smooth. I need the way to be opened up before me again so I can understand what the next step might be because I can't see the whole journey. And I think that messes us up some as human beings. We want to see the whole thing. I want to see where I'm going. I want to see myself as the person who, when I walk into a room that the fanfare plays. Don't you? That'd be so awesome. Unexpectedly, of course. 
We've got to make that happen sometime. We're going we're gonna to do that to some of you. You're just going to walk in, we're going to play the fanfare, and we're all going to go on bended knee just for fun. I mean, but I want to see, and I think we want to see the whole thing laid out in front of us, but really, all God gives us is really what's next in front of us. And then there are these, but there are these reminders over and over and over and again in our life to let go of that whole thing, to live in the moment of now, but to make the path straight, to begin to think about how can we relate to the people around us to have the way made more smooth, to have the rough places in us ground down, to have our sin forgiven, to make amends with one another. I mean, I'll tell you, on September 11th, I was still living in Ohio, and I'd just gotten off the phone with the musician for, this, for the little church that I was pastoring. And I'd, at that time, I don't do it anymore, I, would, I watched like the Today Show or something. And I'd had the TV on, but I just shut it off. And it was, I don't know what, about nine in the morning. And actually, I was, I just, and then I got on the phone with the musician. This is how it happened. I got on the phone with the musician, and all of a sudden she says, We've got to get off the phone. You need to turn on the TV. And I don't know what you were doing on the day of September 11th and where you were and what was happening in your life, whether you were even in the United States or wherever you were in the world. I don't know if you had access to a television, a radio, a, a phone, or whatever, but for the next three or four hours, I sat, my eyes wide open, wondering what was going to happen next. And very soon into that, I was like, okay, we're, call- we're, we're calling people to prayer. I called my musician and I said, tonight, we're praying. We're going to ring the bells. We're going to gather the congregation. And I remember my message from that night. Because I had turned in some ways, in some ways, from grief, from anguish, from heartbreak, from fear... To hope. Because I had hoped that this event would soften our hearts toward one another. Would soften our hearts toward the rest of the world which had lived with this kind of violence and this, this kind of thing for a long time. I had hoped well, you know, things went on. And people's lives were changed. Many people's lives were softened and they, they committed themselves to work of reconciliation and crossing the boundaries, especially with, with people of the Muslim faith or people who were Arab of descent and began to build bridges in that way. But many people's hearts were hardened. They looked with suspicion upon their neighbor And the political and the economic and the religious turmoil just continued to roil. And then in November of 2008, do you remember November of 2008? Man, like the world, world, the United States, at least some big portions of the United States were really, really excited, especially people of color in the United States, especially people 
African-Americans in Antioch were, were really excited about this dude, this president, Barack Obama, right? But yet economically, what was happening? People were out of work. The markets had gone to heck in a handbasket. Housing prices were... That's where it all started, we think, with all the housing loans that we had. Like, again, and maybe this is just a character flaw of mine. Like, I went from fear and what's going to happen to us and what's going to happen to the church and what's going to happen with this to hope. Maybe this will soften us to one another. Maybe this is an opportunity in America for our leaders to say, you know, we've got to come together. Your neighbor is going to be out of work. You might be out of work. We need to plant some gardens. We need to share food. We need to, we need to work together. And neither the outgoing president nor the incoming president sent that message. The message was sent that somehow the government was going to take care of these things. Or was going to do as much as they could. But there wasn't an overwhelming message of we're all in this together, and that's the only way we're going to get through this. We lean back into our American individualism to try to make it through. I had hoped, and I think many people had hoped, that it would soften us toward our neighbor, and maybe it did for some. Community gardens were planted. There were systems and things put in place to watch over our financial institutions a little bit differently, right? We did perhaps make some progress in some areas. And then in March 2020, literally something came through the air to change our world. You know what I'm going to say, I had hoped that it would soften us, that it would smooth down the rough places, that it, would, that it would open us to our neighbor. But political and economic and religious turmoil seemed to just amp up again. And so I've been thinking about this passage from Luke. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. For those of us that have been in the church our whole lives, you may not, that may just go right by you. Oh, John the baptizer. Oh, that guy, not John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist, people. He was a baptizer. He physically did a thing. He wasn't part of a denomination. Okay, just FYI. Baptists might try to claim him, but we're, we're just trying to set the register straight here, okay? You know, nothing wrong with being a Baptist. I always joke that we're all Baptists now because we have these phones, and, the, and in our phones are our Bibles, and Baptists carry their Bibles wherever they go, and so you're a Baptist now, so just know. All right, all of that being said, John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, this is important, John the baptizer descends from the priestly line on both sides. This would be like if both sides of your families had been OBGYNs for generations. 
or lawyers for generations, or teachers for generations, or pastors for generations, or carpenters for generations, whatever it is, both sides, no pressure for you, John the baptizer, to go to the temple and to serve as a priest. No pressure at all. That's not what the expectation was. No, not at all. Are you kidding me? Like that's, he was slotted. I mean, it was a privileged place to be. I mean, priests had a privileged place in society. They did not quote unquote work. They served in the temple as their work. They were provided for. The food that they ate was what was left over from the table. They weren't supposed to take more than that. Sometimes they did. We won't talk about that. Where was John the Baptist? Or John the son of Zechariah? In the wilderness. He was nowhere near the temple. He was out somewhere else. He was choosing to go against all of those generations that were pointing him in this direction right in the midst of all of that institutional stuff that was just going to continue to do the same thing over and over and over. And yes, they were trying to be faithful. The priests were trying to be, I'm not saying that the priests were bad as a whole or the institution was bad as a whole. I'm just saying that something about him caused him to go out into the wilderness and in the wilderness in the Bible is a clear sign that something is about to change, that things are going to be different Being in the wilderness means that God is working on you. So God's working on John and brings him a word and says, somebody's coming. It is time to prepare the way again. There's too much political and economic and religious turmoil again. The people are not doing what I've asked in the community of God. The Messiah is on the way and you are the new Elijah. It is time to prepare the way. Let the rough places be made smooth in everyone. Let everyone's hearts be prepared to receive this new word. And this word, we know, is going to be embodied in a person. The one who we would come to know as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, the son of God, comes to be known as our Savior And I'm guessing that John, son of Zechariah, heard that word. And I'm guessing that he hoped that his baptism for the repentance of sins would help turn his community around. And I'm guessing that it did for some people. I'm guessing that people's lives were turned around. That's what, for the forgiveness of sins, it's metanoia. For the, it's a turning. I'm going this way? No, I'm going to be turned and go that way. I need to be turned around from the path that I'm on. That's what John's baptism was about. A re- baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To turn people around and put them on a path. A path that's being prepared so that we might receive Jesus. Well, wouldn't it be something if in the first year of the Biden presidency, when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House and Kamala Harris was President of the Senate, when John Roberts was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, that the Word of God would come to you and that you, in your home, at your work, would receive that word as the impetus to be softened 
for the way to be made in you, for the Savior to shine through in everything that you are doing, to speak truth into our economic and political and religious reality, that we might be reconciled with God and with one another because there is a lot of reconciliation that needs to happen. And so that now is my hope in this Advent time, that the way would be made straight in you and in me, that we might become the proclaimers of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that changes our homes, that changes our communities, that changes our schools, that changes our work, that changes our world. May the Spirit of God move through each and every one of us to prepare the way. Amen.